0: Welcome to Talatera, a podcast about freelance educators working in natural resource fields and environmental education. Who are these educators? What do they do? Join me, and let's find out together. This is your host, Tanya Marion. Today, my guest is Eleanor Chaney. Eleanor is a freelance artist and educator. She is also a busy mom and the founder and creative director of the Library of Nature, a library designed specifically for children. In this episode, Eleanor and I discuss how her experience as a contemporary artist has informed her approach to art, nature, teaching, and learning. Eleanor also offers insight into what freelancers can provide for teachers. Let's join the conversation. Eleanor, thank you so much for being here today. May I ask you to introduce yourself, please? Yeah, thank you so much for
1: having me. I'm so looking forward to talking to you today. Uh, my name is Eleanor Cheney. I'm an artist and illustrator who's inspired by the natural world. I also work with people. I've worked with children and also adults of all ages running creative arts activities inspired by nature since 2008. And I'm based in uh, just on the edge of the Lake District in the UK.
0: You started your freelance career in 2008. What did you do before? So uh, I grew up in Cambridge, um, down in the
1: southeast of England, and I decided that I wanted to go to London to study art because I thought that's where all the exciting art things happened. I know that's actually not true anymore, but so I studied fine art and contemporary critical studies for three years at Goldsmiths College in London, which is a very conceptual program. It was when I was there 15 years ago. And during that time, I tried all sorts of different art forms, but I can see some really common themes that are in my work now that were present then. So, for example, I was really interested in the idea of the collection. I was really interested in the idea of um, our relationship with history, and I was really interested in how we engage with nature. So I actually graduated making these films um, I found out about an old telegraph called the semaphore, which was the first way that messages travelled from the coast of the country to the Admiralty in London in the 18th century. And I went to all these locations where this semaphore would have existed. They were visual telegraphs, so they were built on big hills, and people would send messages by looking through a telescope and seeing someone else send a message. So I ended up spending most of my third year just travelling around the UK, looking at views, which was really lovely. Um, and then I went on to move to Cumbria. I didn't want to stay in London anymore. And it felt like a place where there was a lot of discussion about relationship to landscape and what landscape was and what landscape could be. And it's really beautiful. So I ended up moving up then.
0: And how did you start your freelance career? What was the first thing that you did?
1: Well, I was really frustrated with art at that point. I just, I was struggling to see how art could be useful to people. And so it sounds like a terrible thing to say, but that's what it felt like. You know, I knew then that art shouldn't just, for me, exist within this elitist world within London. I wanted it to be something where I felt like I was having a positive impact on other people's lives and so I was volunteering at a community centre that has a big garden near me and they asked me if I wanted to do a workshop so I sort of jumped at it not fully knowing if I was uh, qualified to do that but I felt like I knew I was enthusiastic and I loved art and I had had a little bit of experience when I was at university I'd gone through a training program at the Tate Modern for peer-led art opportunities. So it was, I think it was like 15 to 21-year-olds training to deliver art experiences to 15 to 21-year-olds. So I had some experience of devising a workshop. But yeah, I just got given this great opportunity. I think it was all about reflections in nature. We did this day of drawing, looking in the pond. And then like I bought these little mirrors and uh, everybody sort of held them at different angles and drew what they could see. So looking back, it's very similar to what I do today, really.
0: Was that your first uh, experience with using nature in artwork?
1: You know, what's really interesting is how, obviously this is my own journey, so it won't be the same for lots of people, but the process of my art education, it felt like it really detached me from nature and an engagement with the natural world which was so present like when you're a teenager you're doing uh like in the UK you're doing your GCSEs or your A-levels you're encouraged to go and do first-hand ob- observations of the of the natural world you know I did this thing about like big projects on shells I did big projects on birds and then I just felt At around 2008, there were some, 2005, 2008, I was at university the first time. And there were some people who were engaging with the idea of climate change, of our impact on the natural world, but very few on my course. I wouldn't say that that was my major concern either at that point. And so it feels like things have really shifted now that so much art is around that topic because it's so important to our life now and our future. But it was just that moment where it was, it was like we knew about it, but people weren't actively feeling there was a pressure to use the communication art form that is art to do something or to spread a message. So I think when I graduated, and I moved to this place, which was so abundant in its natural beauty, like just limitless inspiration, even the small town that I live in, which is 20 miles away from the Lake District National Park, is just such a wonderful place to live you can see like the fells at the edge of my road and stuff and and so it it more just reopened a part of me that I had pushed down because I had been repeatedly given the message that art about the natural world was in some form old-fashioned or like not not contemporary enough
0: The message that comes through consistently on your website is that you are curious about the natural world and curious about people's relationships with it. Another thing that comes through across um, your site is your admiration and respect for natural history books. What is it about these books that calls out to you?
1: I was thinking about that. I think about that all the time because... My art journey has been long and winding. I've done, you know, I've done everything from gardening projects to working for puppet theatres to working on parades and carnivals. I've done so many different things, but collecting books has always been this kind of background thread for me. And I think probably it starts with my grandparents because my granddad had been a postman and he left school very, very young, Um, but a spare room in their house he made into his own little library it was like wall to ceiling uh, floor to ceiling wall to wall books and I also have loads of memories they had built um this little bungalow that they lived in and it had kind of an allotment and all of those things that that generation really valued and more people are valuing now and so I just had all these memories like especially being a child growing up in this sort of a city although it was not hugely urban it was very different going to see them was like sitting in his library looking out of the window at this five tree orchard that they had apples on every year and so I'm sure it started there and also with my mum who's really interested in history and English literature giving us this message that books were the thing it was okay to have You were always allowed more books, and obviously not everybody gets that privilege. So probably they they sowed the foundations for that, and then things like being at school and the library being a place where you were free to just explore and learn and read. You couldn't talk so it kind of took away some of that pressure to socialize at school when you were supposed to be doing your private research and um and when I was a teenager I just started my own collection I worked at a children's bookshop or it was a bookshop with a children's department from about 17 to maybe 19 and I started collecting children's books I started going to secondhand shops like vintage thrift shops and collecting books And it just became this real influence for my art. And when I look back at the work I made pre university, it was all uh, inspired by books, it was inspired by historical book design. But it took me a really long time to start integrating that into my work because I think I felt like real art couldn't be pretty. Like real art couldn't be vintage, it couldn't be beautiful because. Under that idea, like contemporary art had to be cutting edge and contemporary. So it's just like a lot of uh, a lot of process to getting comfortable with that. But what happened was, I carried on collecting books, and I should say, not very expensive ones. (laughs) They're always ones I have in the last two years. Branched into eBay, and that has been an exciting discovery. But mostly, it was just things I found. And then when My work changed dramatically when I became a parent and I couldn't travel so much. I couldn't go and do all these really interesting projects with people. My life became very much about the day to day. I think I started looking at these books as little portals that I could escape and and just have like a little holiday looking at illustrations of animals or, or learning something new. But with that has come an understanding, more of an understanding of the problems of those the time in which those books were produced there are times when I've opened them and they've had things that really shocked me attitudes to people attitudes to the natural world and then so I began to have this idea that that was something worth exploring because they're they're seen as almost just very pretty completely innate objects but vintage books actually antiquarian books they give us so much insight into people's beliefs and attitudes at the time so I kind of lots of combinations of things that I'm interested in.
0: Is there a particular type of book that you
1: collect? Uh, yeah moth books and butterfly books so lepidoptera books I collect with enthusiasm and books about sea creatures like the, the one that I most recently bought was one on insect architecture I think it's from about 1890 and it's all about different ways that insects build homes which I just love the idea of I love the name as well the title but I think there's also traces of their previous owners which I really like so if I find a book and it's got pressed flowers or it's got a record card some people have written all these little notes or you find their kind of their process of learning they've hidden in the book
0: you are an illustrator an artist and you create wonderfully inspiring intriguing paper sculptures paper cut art gosh I don't even know I I, call it paper cuts I don't is there a specific name for the paper cut type of art that you do of of Lepidoptera of the moths and the butterflies and all that because it is so it is so intricate it is so detailed and it makes you every piece I've looked at on your website makes you stop and study and pay attention
1: that's so good to hear that's what I want the work to do so yeah I used to call it paper cutting um which is is uh, an ancient Chinese art form but was also like very, um, very, is very important in Jewish culture and is very important, like in many traditions in Eastern Europe and, uh, and Mexico. Um, they have papel picado. I'm so sorry if I've pronounced that wrong. <laughs> and uh, and so, yeah, I just found this art form because I wanted to make screen prints. So I was cutting up newspaper to make templates and then I liked the templates so much. I just couldn't bear to screen print over them and also I was working for a puppet company at the time which I still feel is like what an amazing like luck-filled life have I had I get to say I worked for a puppet company at some point as a freelancer and um and they were making a beautiful shadow puppet show I started making shadow puppets I went through a phase where I wanted to be a puppeteer and do like little mini street shows and then I realised I'm just not a very good performer (laughs) and it was probably best I was a very nervous performer so I I realised it was more about the objects themselves and I started paper cutting which is um, when you take a scissors I use a surgical scalpel and you extract what you don't want left and then you get you know this final piece of paper artwork it's very popular now but when I started doing it 12 years ago there were some really recognized people but it just wasn't as as popular an art form then and I spent a lot of time trying to explain to people at art fairs what it actually was but um it's uh now I just call it paper arts because I started wanting to incorporate three-dimensional elements I'm really inspired by scientific models and a lot of them were papier-mâché and um and so yeah I just I always want to push it and see what else it could become so now I'm like paper arts because that's just art that's made of paper it's easy to describe and I just see it as a part of illustration um paper cutting with a scalpel is very similar to drawing and drawing is like my deep passion as an artist I was always a drawer. And I didn't, you know, I didn't always focus on it. I don't have a daily drawing practice in a sketchbook like some people do. It's just the sort of primary way that I will respond to something is to draw. And yeah, I try and sort of see, you know, how how far can I push this in terms of how delicate can my paper cuts be? How small can they be? But it's a changing art form. Like everything is. It's changing with its relationship with technology. Because now that there are digital cutters and there are laser cutters, of which I have a digital cutting machine now, I bought one for the first time a few months ago because it enabled me to, you know, share work with people in a different way. And I wanted to understand it. I never want to like reject the new technology. I always want to understand it and then see, can it be a tool that I can use in part of what I do? So I'd never want to stop doing handmade paper cuts or paper art because that like the tangible like materials that that working through your hands is really important to me. It's like drawing. Similarly, I never stop drawing with a pencil and pen. It's just to make a living. It's a lot easier to draw on an iPad. So it's about what tool can I bring in to take this passion that I have and make it something that can also help me pay my bills and create more work. So
0: another way that you do science communication is through the library of nature. And I have to tell you, I think that is just a brilliant idea. I love how you make the old books new again and how you assign them for reading. It is a form of doing science communication. And it's also a way of empowering other people to become science communicators. And so can you describe for, to listeners what a visit to the Library of Nature is like?
1: Yeah, so the the idea behind the Library of Nature is that it's designed from the perspective of children. So I've worked with children for a very long time. I specialize in working with five to 11 year olds. And that was visual storytelling. It was making puppet shows, it was making animations, it was making visual art, comics, all sorts of things. So I, want, I noticed that a lot of art experience or art ideas for children, like they were all created for the carers, the parents or the, or the teachers. Like Pinterest, there are these wonderful ideas on Pinterest, but they're always geared towards an adult reading them, setting them up, preparing them, and then the child like does the activity. And I wanted to do something where when you enter the Library of Nature as a child, it has that feeling of... My daughter, who's seven, has all these books that are, um, you know, these like large format, beautifully illustrated books with maybe foiled elements or pockets that she can explore, or little miniature books inside them. And each experience of that book is is a journey for her, and she absolutely adores these books. And I just felt like there wasn't there wasn't anything specifically that I could find. Which took them on that similar journey. So it's like you land on the website, you there's an introductory letter. It has changed. It's um it's definitely changed a bit initially. I created this character, Isabel Reader, and she was a Victorian naturalist and illustrator. She it was her collection of books, and I was just the librarian. But I designed this project in the pandemic as a response to the pandemic and I ended up delivering workshops to over 170 children in my area virtually through it and lots of things for families. And I realized it was just really confusing for the children because there was like this librarian and then there was also this woman from the past. And I wanted to. And I realised as that process went on, actually, it's about, it's my book collection, really, isn't it? I am the librarian, (laughs) of the librarian of nature. So I design the covers of these books. They click on a book. It's still growing. It's still in very early days. And I feel like it's something I'm going to be working on for a very long time. But they click on a book where I've illustrated a cover inspired by historical uh, natural history books. And inside, there are all these activities. And I want it to grow and grow to something where there are obvious things that you can do like coloring pages or a very simple activity but then I I really want it to branch out into being so it's got these different approaches so some are very grounded in conventional or traditional science activities or like natural history science and others are more about experiential Kind of engaging with nature on that sort of sensory level, or trying to um, just document their own personal journey or experience on a walk. So yeah, it's got a variety of things. But they click on the book. Hopefully, one day there will be a huge and diverse array of activities which use my illustration. And there's a gallery where children can send in their artwork if they want it to be featured. Um, I do sometimes draw alongs which are how to little videos of how to draw different animals but I always use that as a vessel to talk a lot about the animal beforehand and eventually there will also be a book or a chapter of that website which is all about unrecognized or unseen figures in natural history as well and also looking at like wider and more challenging issues around what is nature what what do we do to nature i always mention environmental aspects you know so a video about frog it's going to talk about loss of habitat or um yeah but i want it to be more a philosophical kind of area where where we bring in these bigger questions for them about who are we as humans and like what impact do we have on the natural world what what place are we in the natural world because we're nature too asking those things that teachers often don't get the space to ask.
0: You are working on the Library of Nature with a team. You mentioned that this was something you started during the pandemic and it sounds like you've hit the ground running. And I have read that you have um, some a funding partnership with Arts Council England to help kick this project off. How did you compose of this idea pitch the idea and launch it in such a short time frame and be able to ha- have partnerships with all these other teachers in such a short short period of time
1: so at the beginning of March 2020 i lost almost every piece of work i had lined up for the next 6 months in about a week it was just I'm sure so many people were here. So like ping, 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 emails, postponing things, and it was obviously very worrying. And then at exactly the same time, my daughter had to be homeschooled, which was a new experience. I have huge respect for homeschooling, commu- or home educators. I think it's a very different thing. Homeschooling was like you deliver the national curriculum to your child, whereas I think home education is very different, and. I just felt various things came together. One was thinking about privilege and access to outdoor spaces. The people who, you know, I don't want to make any comparisons. It's been uniquely challenging for everybody. But I had to work. And I didn't have the time for us to go out all day, every day. I know that some people didn't have internet access and suddenly that's it you know if if a parent only has the internet on their phone that means that those children were having to take it in turns or the school were having to organize laptops so that the children could actually participate in their learning and all of these things were making me think people were regularly talking about a new appreciation of the nature on their doorstep and how they hadn't valued it until this point and it was a place to escape when we were all in kind of hard lockdown and, and uh, shelter at home. And I just wanted to make something that could be used by almost anybody. <laughs> I mean, I can't promise that it is usable by everybody, but it was like it needs to be free. It needs to um, it needs to have activities that the totally you know the hassled single mum who's trying to do her 40 hour a week office job from home and teach her three children can be like oh I'll just print this off and give it to you but also that it could be used by teachers who were still teaching um key worker children it could be used for teachers to print out and send home to children whose parents don't have or carers don't have access to a printer so it was like a lot of thought went into all of that and I think it was like a little bit of a place. I, I wanted to make something that you could, it was an escape for me and I wanted it to be escape for other people. You know, like real life was quite challenging and I wanted to create this really fun space full of il- inspiring illustrations that were the best I could do and activities. And I don't feel I accomplished that to where I wanted it to be at all. I tried my hardest. I got, so I wrote, um, I wrote a grant application to the Arts Council in England. It was the first one I'd ever done to deliver participatory work to people. I've obviously done that for so many years and I just didn't have the confidence. I didn't think I would ever get it because I wasn't part of a charity or like a wider organisation. It's difficult to get funding in the UK, I know, as an individual, because match funding often has to come from other places like local council funds or charities, and you can't get those things if you're a freelancer. So that was I, I put it in, I, I actually did an evening class. Um it's like £20 for four sessions virtually over a month. They're like two hours long each about how to write an application to the Arts Council, and that was such an amazing. I did it whilst like reading bedtime stories some nights, but it, it gave me that opportunity to learn how this process works, which I was never taught on my BA or my MA. I did an MA too in art as environment and community based practice, so I got it. And I was I did a crowdfunder as well. I raised five hundred pounds. I designed stationery products and prints, and I sold them. And then a percentage of that went towards my crowdfunder. So I crowdfunded £500 towards it. And I got this small grant, which has now ended, which enabled me to get support with marketing and project management just by another freelancer. And I also got in kind support um, with the technical side of it from somebody. So it was a very small team. And right now, that team is me again. But I feel like so often when you work in arts education or like environmental arts education which is what I worked in for many years projects are very short-lived they have like a four to six month period because it's all about funding And this is not a criticism at all but people who are on a regular wage job in those fields often get stuck in this like cycle of fundraising delivery fundraising delivery and I wanted to make something that would be more than just a unloved website a year down the line. And I think that's always really hard with delivery of projects is like you create these relationships and then the funding goes and then you can't sustain the relationships because the climate is always changing. Like you're always being told to focus on this group or focus on that group because the government will change their strategies. And Yes, I wanted to make something that didn't have the same rhythm. It was more like a slow, I love that you say it built so quickly because I feel like it's been so slow because I was doing it around all my other work, But um, which I eventually got offered things like Zoom workshops and some illustration jobs and things. Um, but yeah, I wanted it to be that I could use this pot of funding to plant the seeds and create the basic structure, deliver some stuff to children who um, are missing out on so much in this situation they're missing out on artist visits in schools they're missing out on their school trips they're missing out on like so and then also that was another thing their museums and the libraries and the galleries they were all shut so I was like oh it could be almost like visiting my website was a mini version of that experience as well for them um but I really want it to grow I'm definitely struggling with how to support it myself I ran the first very like low fee paid element of it over the summer holidays in the UK so using the funding as like a it was subsidized by the funding it was like every Monday uh, families got sent some pages I'd illustrated for a nature journal some activities that they could do themselves and I just have to work out really how to keep it going and how to reach as many people as possible The one thing I'm optimistic about is firstly, as an artist, it takes a very long time to make artwork. And then often it's like, what do I do with it now? Unless like, especially with illustration, because if you don't want to sell original illustrations, throughout the pandemic, I was like drawing on my iPad, because it was the easiest way to make art around my child. And it's the kind of workflow of that is something I feel very comfortable and confident in. So I wasn't faffing around <laughs> trying to like try a new material, which really it was, wasn't the time in my life for that. Um, so it gives me something. It's like I draw an, an insect. I learn about that insect. I look very, very closely at that insect whilst I'm drawing it. And then it can become a workshop or it can become an activity. So it feels like there's that sort of I've created... A structure where I get to feed my own curiosity, I get to explore my own creativity, and then I actually get to build something from that for other people to enjoy, which is really important. But I am hopeful that one thing that's happened in the time that I've worked in formal education, particularly, but also in the community education is funding cuts have just made it harder and harder to work with people. I have seen my day rate fall. You know, I've been offered, like, some schools have had to ask each parent to donate a pound or two so that I can come in and work with their children. And I just think that because the arts aren't a priority anymore, and therefore, like, as much as teachers try and I have huge admiration for teachers, they're just not the space and the curriculum for them to go and do a nature journal every week or to, you know, to create a puppet show inspired by the changing seasons. It's just really hard for them to be allowed that and to get the support they need in those projects, which have, you know, that's what freelancers can offer formal education is like we go home and we do that prep work that the teachers are so squeezed around. But if this works by delivering like a one hour webinar type workshop, I can reach hundreds of schools all at the same time. And they won't have that same level of engagement. I won't be able to talk to them one to one. or oh, sorry, face to face, which I would love to do again. But I'm also thinking, You know, it used to take me two hours to travel somewhere sometimes to work with a class for half a day or work with a community center for half a day. And I always struggled in environmental education about the amount of petrol that people were having to use because they were like, I'm working here in the morning and then I've got to travel 50 miles and work there in the afternoon. And so maybe there's a way of using everything that we've learned from the last 18 months to question some of those things and be like, well, okay, but is it the best use of my time energy and potentially funding for me to do all this traveling or is it better that I deliver to lots of people at the same time? And then, you know, if, if we're able to do a more kind of in-person event or a a more um, kind of bespoke event,
0: we can build on that. Going back to a comment that you just made about, uh wanting a website a resource whose life was longer than a year i think you have found that and established that with the library of nature uh, there is no question and i encourage listeners to go visit the library of nature you can see what it's already accomplished and what it's on the verge of doing <laughs> it's just just wonderful you've done so much. You've, you have touched so many lives. You've inspired so much with your artwork, your illustrations, your paper sculptures, your paper cut work, which is just fantastic. When you look over your shoulder at the trail you've left behind so far, what do you see? <sighs> That's so kind
1: of you to say. I wish I could see it like that at all. I'm just like, that project could have been so much more. But no, um, I think there's a process that I had to go through. And I'm going to relate it slightly to gender here in that I did not feel able to put myself in the role of my idea a project that I would like to lead for such a long time and that might be about my personality but I also feel that I was just yeah I was telling myself all these stories about you know I'm not meant, I'm not meant, I don't enjoy managing people I'm I'm baffled by the idea of enjoying managing people I'm sure other people do but I like working with people and I feel that took a long time for me to say okay I'm going to put in this funding bid for my idea but what I would love eventually and who knows if this is possible is for it to become something where I can employ other people other creative practitioners other educators are uh, like environmental educators or you know people who are freelancers who are struggling to take that responsibility on themselves or they have children and they're trying to work flexibly or they have caring roles it kind of feels like if I keep going one day I might get to that point where I can create roles for the person that I was seven years ago when like I just had a baby and I did not know how I was going to carry on working I didn't I didn't I was constantly having to apologize that I had a child I was constantly worried about like, oh, school starts at this time. And then how am I going to get here by this time? So I don't know. I feel like it's just now that things are coming together in terms of my own practice, in terms of I don't know if that is my practice, but the artwork I make. For a while, I didn't make my own art. I just worked with people. I wanted to help them make art. For a while, I just wanted to make my own art and I stopped working with people. And like, sometimes you have to explore those different parts of who you are and then something new grows out of it all. But yeah, I feel like it's coming together. There are still big questions for me. Like, how do we use historic material as inspiration in a way that we're taking full responsibility for the values that may be inherent within that visual idea so like you know design is very powerful the library of nature is all inspired by Victorian natural history books what do the designs of those books communicate to people what values do they communicate and I think that's what it really comes down to for me it's like this constant journey of well this is part of me I spent my childhood loving being in libraries loving visiting natural history museums and I also love going on walks. I love being in nature around me.
0: What's next for you? Um,
1: what is next <laughs> for me? To build on, to work on the library of nature, to start the first plan is just a program of these one hour webinars, which schools can sign up to um, and participate in, ask questions and, and things like that. And, then to look at like is it viable to run online events for families what will happen when I'm not doing in-person face-to-face workshops a lot of people are it's a choice that I've decided not to do right now and I'm very lucky to have that choice so how will this become together I have in my head a vision of making paper sculptures of animals and Butterflies and shells, and the Library of Nature becoming a f- sort of face to face experience. So, like tying in all that time I spent in puppet theatres, and all the time I spent making animations, and all this time I spent illustrating into some sort of fun experience. It's, and I also thought, like, children don't often get to look closely in their school environment, like obviously not when they're visiting museum or whatever, at how big certain things are, how small they are, what they look like in detail. And it would just be a fun way making them in paper where nothing had to die, but they get to look really, really closely and they get to handle things. So I don't know, maybe that. And then also I just want to bring the elements that I love about the Library of Nature to grown-ups. I really want to make similar workshops or similar Um, creative experiences or communities for adults who maybe feel like the curiosity and the creativity in them has been dampened by the responsibility of adult life or like just their job has meant that they they need a little place to feel like lit up again by seeing and noticing things or they want to be creative so I've started experimenting with Doing little quizzes on my Instagram and you know I'm making a free five-day mini kind of workshop experience via my newsletter that will be released uh, the 27th of October it starts and that's going to be you know easy ways that you can record, observe, be creative in response to nature and I've, it's all been designed with the idea, like, what if you're not comfortable picking up a pencil and creating a beautiful nature journal page? What if you're really busy? What if your kids are like... I mean, nature walks with kids are like this whole different level of challenging sometimes because you don't have a lot of time to go, what a beautiful bird as your child, like, runs towards open water. So just how can I make things? And and then similarly, uh, for for people who are still shielding or people who are like not able to go on long hikes or be outside as much as they want to like there, there are things in that that I've each activity has options so if you are still in your house and you still feel unsafe going out into the world and I think there are so many people who are still in that position and we're just not talking about them enough that I wanted to make something for them too
0: it's beautiful. It's wonderful. It is so generous of you, Eleanor. I am a fan of, of everything, everything that you're doing, and oh, especially the library of nature. And I tell you what, I am filling out my library card. <laughs> I am trying to decide whether I should put a photo of myself or draw something in that space, <laughs> and that would be my card. Uh, but I tell you what, You wanted to touch adults, you said, through the Library of Nature. And I think that library card is a wonderful first step.
1: Oh, that's so nice to hear. Especially, and I also should just add a part of that, which I forgot to mention, is libraries. I know that we want to create opportunities for other people to go and use their library because libraries are at risk. In the UK, libraries are disappearing all the time. And I don't know, maybe making an alternative where you don't have to leave your house isn't the most logical way but I wanted to value the the library as an entity like libraries are are a beautiful idea a free place where people can go and acquire knowledge and support is a really wonderful thing and I hope that they carry on
0: to learn more about Eleanor the library of nature and to view Eleanor's paper sculptures see the links in the show notes at talaterra.com Here you will also find information about how you can participate in Eleanor's upcoming mini-course. Thank you for joining us today. See you next time. Talaterra is a podcast for and about independent educators working in natural resource fields and environmental education. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and colleagues. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Tanya Marion.